Hey, welcome everyone uh, to Plant Profits, the Plant Profits podcast with Vern Davis, and that's me. I am your host, Vern Davis, and I'm real excited about my guest. This guest today is known throughout the industry and has made a huge impact in the industry. He's been doing it a while, so it's really cool that he's going to be part of our show today. And he's got over 30 years of experience as a corporate finance financial professional. He's a co-founder of Corporate Strategy Finance Advisory Group, focused on global life science industry. He's, like I said, he's been doing this stuff for 30 years, and he's been driving a force behind the Tan Associates. They've been doing this and made some tremendous investments in the industry and done a lot of deals in and out of this industry, the, the cannabis industry, obviously in the life science businesses. My guest today, and welcome to Plant Profits, Mr. Seth Yakatan, who's the co-founder and partner of Katan Associates International, KAI. Uh, man, really, Seth, I'm glad you're here. Thank you for being here. Looking forward to our chat today. Thank you, Brian. The pleasure is 110% mine. So. No, absolutely. Uh, it's great. That's great. So, look, you've done a lot. We, there's a lot we could talk about. When I was getting ready to have this conversation with you, I said, okay, he's probably going to take me in some direction. But let me just, how did you become a VC? How did you, how did that happen? You know, a lot of it had to do with genetics, mm -hmm. right? So my, my, my story goes back to my dad, who okay. grew up in an orphanage and ran the streets of Philadelphia. I was just a hustler. You know, he... Once he got out of the army, he became a salesperson, became a salesperson for what's now Novartis. It was then called Sandoz um, yeah. and was really, really, really good. He was the number one salesperson in the world for, for Sandoz Pharmaceuticals in 67, 68. And he got offered a job as a VP of sales at a company in the 70s called New England Nuclear. And back then, in the olden days, if you wanted to research something, you had to radio label an isotope, a radioactive isotope to it so you could trace where it went in the body. And his company that he grew globally as part of that team had 70% market share in that industry. Ooh. So anyone who was doing the initial stages of fundamental biotechnology research, including Genentech and all of those early names, Biogen and IDEC before there, he knew all these guys. You know, so I kind of grew up in that world, you know, and honestly, Vern, it was just blunt force trauma. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're of my vintage. You look good for 35, but you're of my Thank vintage. You. you know, these young kids might not remember that in 1991, 1992, there was this thing called a recession and there yeah. was a war and yeah. you couldn't get a job delivering friggin' pizzas. Right. So to answer your question, there was a couple venture funds in Orange County, and I knew them. I started showing up with one of them every single day. Every single day. Just show up. Uh, just show it up. Just show, just show up. up. Yeah. The, the, the girl who was the admin to one of the GPs liked me. Mm -hmm. And after like the 15th day, she was like, well, there's a broom closet down the hall that we rent. <laughs> It has a computer in it. So if you want to sit there and look for a job, yeah. we'll let we'll let you sit there. That's crazy, man. And after about forty five days, one of the GPs is like, 
are you still here? And I was like, yeah, I've been here every day. Why? And they're like, okay, well, go, you know, go, we'll figure something out. So it, uh, honestly, it was just, it, it wasn't like. But let, listen to this story. Now, I tell my kids this all the time, right? I tell them exactly that. Is that when somebody invites you to go somewhere or to an event where there's people that you've never met, just show up. Just show up. Look, this story, your story begins with just showing up. It's a big deal. I mean, it's such a simple thing, but if you show up, opportunity sometimes presents itself. But you kind of made this happen. <laughs> you forced the issue. Uh, it's called the right. people. There's a couple of people who have talked about that in yeah. terms of this notion of making your own luck. Yeah. You know, so, you know, if you look at it like becoming a film actor or becoming a professional athlete, they're just not handed out those gigs. You know, you, you, you want to be in a private equity fund or in, you know, a venture capital fund or on Wall Street. They're not, they're just not like saying, hey, come on in. Like, we'll take everybody. Like you got to put in, you got to put in the reps and a lot of that reps is just going to be getting beat down. And I guess because of the fact that, you know, I literally had a job when I was nine years old, I just oriented in that direction. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's done well. I mean, you guys have done so much. I mean, as a history, you know, the millions and millions of dollars you've done through M&A transactions and you know, and, and, and just doing early stage stuff with early stage companies when it comes to money and doing deals. And I think that's, that, that's amazing. How did cannabis become your play? A part of your play? Through happenstance. Okay. After the crash in 2008, we lost pretty much everything. Like, honestly. So I was like, oh, I'm going to be one of those guys and I'm never going to have to work a day in my life and I'm going to like, you know, just invest money and stuff. Mm -hmm. Didn't happen. I started kind of really coming to the conclusion that equity was what was going to make me wealth. Mm -hmm. I started going to companies and, and essentially kind of saying, you know, you don't have a solution and instead of paying me money and pretending that I'm going to help you. Why don't you just give me like seven or 8% of your company right now? Yeah. And you'll have my full attention. Yeah. And you know, if it works, I'm your partner. And if it doesn't work, I'll give you most of that back. Mm -hmm. So after literally getting like 300 cups of coffee thrown in my face, yeah, I was dumb enough to say yes. Ah. Um, and I got one of those transactions done yeah. And, and that company really worked. And then I got another one done. So, so like 2008 to 2011, I had two therapeutics companies, one which was a bulletin board reverse merger company that we reverse split and re-IPO'd up to NASDAQ. And that company went like this. Okay. And another company that was a therapeutics company in the U.S. that I merged into a public company in Australia, and the company did the same thing. So I'm going to answer your question. About December of 2011, these four thugs, like these four microcap beasts, call me. Yeah. And they're like, listen, cannabis is going to go recreational in Canada, 
And we think that we can create a company like GW Pharma and we just want to do a pump and dump, right? Like we just want, we want to raise the money and we want to get out. And I was like, great, what do you need me for? And they're like, well, we want you to put it together. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So I, I kind of said, look, you, you guys give me a big giant piece of the vehicle that you're going to use. So uh -huh. I can get out with you and I'll be your huckleberry. I spent about four months. I put together a plan. I went to Israel. I licensed three molecules from Meshulam. And basically in January of 17, I took that company public in Toronto and I raised it $43 million. I originally got into cannabis from the therapeutic drug development perspective. I looked at what GW was doing. I looked at what was going on in biosynthesis or synthetic catalysis of cannabinoids. And I was like, gosh, this is how I'm going to take like a $4 pre-roll. I'm going to put it behind the counter at a pharmacy and I'm going to charge $40. Like I'm going to be the guy. Seven years and three failures. Really, I didn't get there. And then to kind of further answer your question, you know, I was kind of looking around in 2019 at the landscape and in California, and I kept literally like smacking into this company called Ease. And at the end of 2019, somebody convinced the CEO to hire me. And I worked inside of Ease as a consultant, helping them in corp dev and capital markets for 10 quarters. And while I was there, you know, Ease raised $130 million, bought three stores, turned 10 depots on with MSAs, launched about a $40 million a year private label brand, and acquired a company or merged with a company called Green Dragon, making it like the 13th largest MSO in the United States. And I was involved in all of that. And I will very loudly, you know, take credit for identifying and closing the Green Dragon deal with Corey Azzolino and Mark Woods, who's now was the former counsel and Corey is now the CEO of the company. So it, it, once all of that happened, I was allegedly a genius <laughs> because, you know, I had gotten a couple things done and I wasn't an asshole, I think. And a lot of the people on the transactional side in cannabis seem to have an outsized opinion of their relative amount of value vis-a-vis -vis the ecosystem. And I was very cognizant of the fact that there is an ecosystem here and there is a legacy part of the mm -hmm. ecosystem here. And there is a, a, you know, kind of a social and gender equity part of the ecosystem here that needs to be addressed. You need to be sensitive to, and my style, you know, is pretty matter of fact and blunt, and I'm certainly willing to help a lot of people. So, so to answer your question in a very long winded fashion, that's, that's how I found myself in cannabis. It was through serendipity and, and kind of a path of, I got two things kind of done and led me to a third and then led me to cannabis. And again, to, to further answer your question, you know, I'm in cannabis because I see the same dynamics in cannabis that I saw in life sciences in the 70s and 80s, right? Right, um, right. There's, there's yeah. so many similarities between the industries and, you know, the amount of opportunity that exists in the industry is asymmetrical and the constraints that exist on the, on the industry are overwhelming. For the right person, you know, that's gold. That's exactly right. And that's, that's what it's become to you and <clears throat> the representation obviously precedes you. We're going to take a quick break. I'm Vernon Davis. I'm the host of Plant Profits, and 
Plant Profits is brought to you proudly by Produce Global. Plant Profits is an award-winning podcast. My guest today, Mr. Seth Yakutan. He is the co-founder and partner at at Katan Associates International, KAI. We'll be right back with Seth. Plant Profits will return so our sponsors can profit from these messages. Hey, welcome back. This is Vern Davis. I'm your host of Plant Profits, and uh, Plant Profits is brought to you by Protus Global and Cannabis Radio. My guest today, Mr. Seth Yakatan, who is the co-founder and partner at Katan Associates International, KAI. They've done a lot of deals. He's been the fire, the spark that lights the match. Look, Seth, as we're talking, man, you kind of walked us through how you got into cannabis and why you think it's a place to be based on your past, you know, before cannabis, which I think is very cool. But so why do you like working with early stage, you know, beginners, startup businesses? Why is that your spot? Because usually that's where innovation occurs. And innovation usually starts with people that are either young or iconoclast. And I really like working with both of those very broadly personality types. Everything becomes new and being early requires that you need to stay youthful, be on top of everything that's happening. And and I think that's why they tend to appeal with me to, to me. Yeah. You like that. You say that's where the innovation, that's what you see typically the innovation begins with these startup companies. That's their reason for being. And right. That's their reason for being. That makes sense. Sure. Makes look, sense. Look, 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 look at what's going on in two verticals now that we'll, we won't talk about in the context of the show. Look yeah. at what's going on in AI. Yeah. If you came to me three years ago and, and said the words AI, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Right. Now we all know. There's another vertical in battery metal recycling. Mm-hmm. Battery metal recycling is probably the hottest sector nobody's heard about right now. So all of these phones and computers and cars that have batteries that need to be recycled. Yeah. You're either going to have to ship them to space. You're going to figure out how to process them. There's four companies that are trying to do it and they've all raised a ton of money. The other reason that I like early is that if you see a cohort of companies forming, Mm -hmm. you can probably see a vertical forming and you can see how capital is going to line into that vertical. And if you're early enough into that cohort, you can get a ridiculous amount of capital for something. So there's a, there's an ulterior motive between behind why I like early, which is that Capital tends to flow irrationally into things that are early. Mm-hmm. And if you're aware of something which is on trend before it becomes a trend, you might be able to get a ridiculous amount of capital into it. Right. Give me an example of that. Look at cannabis in 2014 to 16. Ridiculous. Money was just... It was, it was insane. Yeah. You, you showed up with a plant in your hand and a joint, and they gave you $5 million. And a PowerPoint, and they maybe gave you six. Man. Right? <laughs> no, you're you know, right. 
a hand and a heartbeat is all you really needed. So that, you know, there's one. Yeah. No, no, you're right. That makes so much sense what you say, because it's true. People want to get in and they want to take a big stake if they believe it's going to actually happen. <clears throat> and there's a lot unknown. So it is a risk. And for a guy like you, that makes it attractive. It may be. It just, you have to know where the stones are so you don't step in the water. It's kind of like if I'm a defensive coordinator, except I'm not playing, you know, I'm not coaching for Notre Dame, I'm coaching for Nebraska, or I'm coaching for USC. Who needs the help, by the way? USC Trojans, you need the help at defensive coordinator. Just say, I'm taking yeah. calls now. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know what, Seth? They may need some Jimmys and Joes, too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he may be coordinating his ass off. You know, you never know, but that could be the case. So when you, you're evaluating, you're getting into this space and you're finding, you're trying to find the right company or the right company calls you and you you need to go evaluate them. What are you looking at? You, you lifting the hood up. What are you looking for? And what are you looking at? I'm looking at a couple of things for, for me, you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking at who's driving and how that decision-making matrix is is delineated. If I don't like who's driving and I don't believe that there's linear amounts of decision-making, that's really hard for me. So sometimes you'll have a CEO who's, you know, owns six or 7% of the company and the investors own 40 or 50% of the company. The CEO is working for the investors. So mm -hmm. a lot of what I look at is how how much decision-making authority does the does the captain have? Mm -hmm. that, that that's very important to me. Uh, and another thing which is becoming more important to me, or less important to me, is what's kind of the toggle function between exit or sustainability. It mean meaning that you know a lot of these there's a class of people there's 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 an age group of people now that I think are under 40 that have been conditioned that they must exit a business, right? You must exit. You must take money and you must exit. I'm sitting in a coffee shop. The guy next door to me has seven dry cleaners in my neighborhood, okay? Yeah. He's driving a Rolls Royce. He doesn't care about an exit. So, you know, the other thing that I kind of look at in terms of how realistic is the sustainability level of the business, meaning can they generate cash flow or sell product okay. versus you're just gaming to the exit? I've done a lot of direct-to-consumer marketing companies. I've been involved in probably six of them now. Okay. Normally, they're difficult to exit because either whatever marketing modality they use gets discovered or isn't transferable to scale or their cost to acquire a customer doesn't allow them to operate profitably until some level. So, you know, one of the things that I definitely look at is, is this geared that it must exit? And if it doesn't exit, is there, is there a path? Because any investor is just going to want one thing. They're going to want a return. It's, it's the, right. it's the table stakes. So th those are two things that I that I definitely look for in in terms of you know an initial kind of reads. There's probably more, but th those are two that are that are definitely coming to mind. How far down an initial team do you look? 
The, the captain, I got that. You know, the captain and what else from the people side of the business? Is there an operator? Usually most companies that you look at kind of require two or three things. You need an outside person, you need an inside person, and you need someone to run the numbers. And if you're selling product, you need someone to own that. So do you have three or four team members that, that can do that? Mm-hmm. You know, it's very rare that you have somebody who's, you know, a brilliant scientist that can go raise money and talk to the financial markets and create financial statements. Right. So, so do you, do you have adequate coverage to be able to scale and replicate what you're doing and, and get out there? So usually I will look at the totality of the team and see what the totality of that team looks like. We're going to take a quick break, Seth. And then we're going to come back and I'm going to really dig into what you're looking at now. This is Vern Davis. I'm your host of Plant Profits and Plant Profits is brought to you by Produce Global. My guest today is Mr. Seth Yakatan, who you all probably know, co-founder, partner of Catan Associates International, KAI. And uh, we're having a cool conversation. We'll be right back. Plant Profits will return so our sponsors can profit from these messages. Welcome back, everyone. This is Vern Davis. I am your host of Plant Profits, Plant Profits and award-winning podcast brought to you by Protus Global. Having a conversation today with Mr. Seth Yakutan, who's the co-founder, partner at, at Catan Associates International, KEI. So, Seth, this has been a really educational, good discussion here, but what happened to 23? You know, you can't get money. Was it predictable in your mind? What are you looking forward to next year, and what's going to cause any optimism? We're talking specifically about cannabis? Yeah, let's talk cannabis. So cannabis is constrained federally, and, and what that means is as a result of that, most of the capital that would be available to any other company just isn't available to ca- to cannabis. So you don't have public equity capital. You really don't have strategic capital. You really don't have financial buyers. So you have a kind of a finite amount of capital that's allocated to the sector. What happened in 2023 was probably the most precipitous and rapid shift outside of some form of environmental 9-11 Lehman Brothers event that I've witnessed relative to capital drying up in a market. So the, the first answer to your question is there's the size of your N is very small. Like the size of your N of really global cannabis investors is maybe 75 or 100. And half of them are you know, equity funds that haven't done that well because they just haven't been able to exit. And the other half are institutional debt capital funds who effectively have a real estate type of mandate, which is, I want to be securitized by an asset with yield. Mm-hmm. Because you don't have a robust capital or, or public equity market, stocks don't trade on technical fundamentals. And event data will cause broad sell-offs in markets as opposed to performance data. Mm-hmm. So- Last summer, you kind of saw a couple of shakeouts. There was a lot of question about what was going on in California. Debt capital, which was 
on a legacy basis, 12 to 15% went from 18 to went from that range to 17 to 20%. So the cost of capital got more expensive. After the summer, there was hope that safe was going to happen. Safe didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Stocks sold off by another 30%. And everyone just said, I'm going home. So what really happened last year was a finite number of people that had money decided it's either going to get way more expensive or I'm just not putting it out because my assumptions about me putting money into a company and getting liquid just haven't worked. I've seen that change. Money is coming back into the market now. You're starting to see that? Yeah, I am start. I'm starting to see that. I'm starting to see that in the third quarter of this year, significantly mm-hmm. in the debt capital side, definitely on the on the private equity capital side for later stage privates that are that are functioning, which I decide is or define as raising capital, being profitable. Mm-hmm. Very difficult at the early stage still. Yeah. For the second question, I am extremely dissatisfied by governmental leadership in the United States at every single level, at every level. I don't care what party you ascribe to or what religious affiliation you have or what, you know, socioeconomic group that you have, we are not being well served. So as a result of that, and and if you want to debate that, please, but as a result of that, I don't have a great deal of confidence, you know, in our current leadership. If they can't figure out how to agree on a budget and both parties are fighting each other, I don't necessarily see cannabis jumping to the front of the line yeah, in terms yeah. of an approval. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm optimistic that maybe a DEA letter comes out. I'm optimistic that maybe safe occurs. I'm optimistic that maybe someone in Washington, D.C. grows a brain and decides that figuring out a way to capitalize the government as a result of cannabis taxation right. is going to be a lot better than demonizing the plant in whatever way you want to demonize it, whether it's through incarceration or whether it's through religion. I don't, I don't right. really care. So I'm optimistic that something happens there. And if you get a nano signal, mm-hmm. It's just going to make the market irrationally exuberant. If you get something like SAFE or a DEA letter, you're going to see stocks go up by 25 to 40%, and you're going to see a bunch of people run in with their pants down and say, where do I put money? It's going to- So the rescheduling, the rescheduling, you're uh, you're optimistic. What do you think the timing for that? I mean, to your point, it's in line with a lot of important things. Something has to happen before the presidential election. The elections kind of kick off in April. Something has to happen before, Mm -hmm. you know, before November and something has to happen because, you know, Biden's going to need to do something to convince people that he's not a robot. Right. And Trump's base seems pretty strong, irregardless of what accusations they're going to provide against him. And if they actually seem like they could coalesce around doing something. And if you believe, you know, that he's a broad capitalist, that doesn't sound like a bad agenda platform to, 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 to run off if he can then assuage the conservative Christian element that that's, you know, that we're not pro- promoting Satanism. I guess it doesn't matter that he's been, uh, you know, that he has been just vehemently against cannabis. I guess that doesn't matter. 
I mean, you can. We'll see. Well, listen, man, maybe maybe his ass sitting in a jail cell for a couple of months going to change his mind. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe he's going to see the Holy Spirit in there. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know either, man. So let me ask you, is your money off the sidelines in the cannabis space? I don't invest a lot of money. Okay. Usually when I invest money, it's not a good signal. Most of what I've done since 2008 is securitized assets, bonds, not a lot of stocks. I do have money in the sector. I do own three or four of the larger public cap companies just because I think they're long-term holds. You know, normally what I'll do is put something together and have a little skin in the game as part of a broader syndication for better companies. You know, I do own equity in probably six companies in, in cannabis currently that are all, in my, in my opinion, you know, better later stage privates. You know, there's one public that I'm involved with in terms of Glasshouse that I, I yeah. think is, is great as well. So Glasshouse is awesome. That's just, I can't stop saying enough about that company in a positive way. Yeah, they're, they are, they're pretty awesome. I do think to that point, though, that, yeah. you know, there's been a lot of distress. A lot of people have gotten beaten up. You know, if this is your entry point into cannabis, you couldn't be at a better time. There's an investor that I work with who I have a tremendous amount of respect for named Aaron Edelheit uh, out of Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you read his Substack, you know, he's screaming from the hills. Now is the time. Now is the time. I do agree with him. Because you think there's going to be news. There's going to be an event that's going to change the dynamics of the industry. It's different than that, Vern. It's why I'm in the vertical. Okay. I am a capitalist. I am not a philanthropist. I am a capitalist. If you put me on a street corner in downtown St. Louis, I'm going to figure out a way to survive and make money. I'm going to get out of there. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to own that block. Okay. Right. And, the opportunity that I see in cannabis is if 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 we get some form of derear on scheduling is bigger than any opportunity I might have ever seen in my life because you have trillions of dollars that cannot invest in a sector that's doing seventy billion dollars a year in revenue and maybe more with the black market right. that continues to grow. So, you know, my, my fundamental thesis, if I run back home to my training, my training is that everyone that's in alcohol, tobacco, pharmaceutical, broad CPG, and wellness mm-hmm. is competing against cannabis for consumer share of wallet. And cannabis consumer share of wallet is robust and it's not going away. So if you take the handcuffs off of Unilever and Unilever can go buy another $2 billion consumer product company in GTI that they don't know how to operate. They don't know how to run. They don't know what to do. You, that's going to happen. Timestamp. Well, Wednesday, November 15th, <laughs> 9.30 a.m. Pacific. It's going it's to happen. happen. Yeah. It's just a matter of when. And, you know, for me, the reason that I'm leaning in is that, you know, I believe that there are. 75 to 100, great. I don't, I'm not saying good, great. Lower middle market companies in the United States that are doing between, you know, 10 and 75 million in revenue mm-hmm. that are profitable, that 
are either going to be acquired by bigger platforms or are going to be the basis of traditional private equity platform rollups. And I am telling you, I am talking to every single one of them. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you why. Yeah. Because when they go to buy or sell, I want to be the very first person that they think of or that mm -hmm. they call or that they DM or that they text because I'm already texting every single one of them. Yeah. And I'm telling them, here's what you should do and here's who you should be talking to and here's reality. So the, the game that I'm playing is I want to be, when that moment occurs, when that catalyst occurs, I want to be one of the 15 or 20 most important people in cannabis on the planet. We'll stop. No, 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 no disrespect, no disrespect, no ego, no, no, yeah. nothing. I'm, I'm in the game. I am training to be Terrell Owens. I love me some me. Okay. Just going to, just, just going to, just going to win Super Bowls. That's it. I love it. I love it, baby. Just score touchdowns. I love it. I love it. You're giving me some juice on that. I like that. I like that a lot. That was great. That was awesome, man. I tell you, we could, t I could, I got like 25 questions I'm prepared to ask you. And we got to go. Had a blast. Thank you, Seth, for showing up. Right? Thank you for showing up, brother. I really appreciate that. Seth Yakutan, co founder and partner of Katan Associates International, KAI, doing his thing. And he told you. He's going to be one of the 15 to 20 most, most important people in cannabis. When the walls come down, he's going to be the guy. I love that. Well, thank you all for joining us here on Plant Profits. Plant Profits, like I said, is brought to you by Protus Global and Cannabis Radio. Check us out. Any platform you get your podcast, check out Plant Profits. Subscribe, brothers and sisters, subscribe to Plant Profits. We'll appreciate that. Protis Global, my company, P-R-O-T-I-S global.com. We're on social media platforms, all of them. Really check us out, go to our website, and take a look at how we are building companies, how we're changing lives. It's real important. Go check that out. I'm Vern Davis. I'm your host of Plant Profits. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.